everyone. This is Allison Lee, the host here at the Craftcast Studio. And on today's show, I'll be chatting with artist Harriet Estelle Berman, as well as catching you up on all the news here, all that kind of fun stuff. So let's get started. Show number 153. Starting the day again, oh yeah. Letting the sun shine in, uh oh. I'm gonna dig within myself. Uh oh. Life may be never what you think, but I think I'll just go with it and create something new. Just get yourself right into your chair. Come on, listen, you can learn to create something new. Well, hello, hello, hello. It's me, Allison Lee, your host here at the Craftcast Studio, back for another week here, talking into the mic, talking to you guys. So much fun. Uh, well, you know, finally yesterday, I know if you've been listening along, the weather has not been that spectacular here. It's been very gray with a lot of extra snow. Uh, and it is April. I mean, come on. So yesterday uh, was fabulous, finally. And I actually put away all of the winter clothes. Uh, I did leave one coat out because I knew I'd still need it. But I put away all the clothes. I just couldn't stand it in those wonderful little um, vacuum-packed baggies. You know, you put your clothes in, you attach the vacuum cleaner and um, suck all the air out. And it makes it all flat and easy to put away. And uh, I you know, cleaned out the garage. I cleaned out the, um, uh, studio. I cleaned out the closet. I mean, it was just one of those talk about getting a lot of energy right from the sun. (laughs) I did. And it was great. It felt really good. Of course, by the end of the night, I realized after I had, uh, dragged the hose and the big ceramic container that holds it out into the uh, patio area that, um, oh, my arm muscles were definitely a little, little tired by the end of the evening. So, but I got so much done. It feels so good. I'm ready for spring. Uh, and what else is going on? That was a lot yesterday. I have to say I'm getting ready right after I finish here with the show for a little gala event this evening. Uh, and I don't know if Many of you, I'm sure, can relate to this. Women, that is, maybe. Uh, I This gala event came up at the last second of something for my man and, uh, you know, a, a thing for work and, you know, advan- something to take advantage of and go to. So, But, of course, I turned around and said, black tie? I have nothing left that's black tie. You know, since leaving Manhattan, that has not been something that I really need much of, and I haven't kept up with that, and I'm very happy with that. But all of a sudden, the panic set in, which really then turned into crankiness about, well, what will I wear? So in a happy clothing shopping story, I will tell you, uh, one of my clients here on the jewelry studio had canceled, so I jumped into the car, the new cute red Prius car, and went to um, J. Crew. but no luck. Went next door to Anthropology, no luck. Went to Banana Republic thinking I would have no luck, and there was the dress. Ta-da! Right there, they had two dresses. Now, here's what's really cool. So I look at this dress, and it's gray. You can, what's the name of it? Something like Camille Ruffle or something, if you want to go look at it on um, 
the Banana Republic site. Gray, uh, short sleeve, simple neck, but it's made up of small vertical ruffles, like a one inch thick maximum, maybe a half inch thick, going all the way down. And it looks very silk-like and very festive um, when looking at it. But when you get up close, it's really a cotton jersey stretch mix because there's no zipper. You know, I was looking like, okay, how do I get into it? Where's the zipper in the neck? No, 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 no. Pulls on over your head so it's comfortable. And then saw the perfect earrings at Banana and the perfect silver bag. And then went next door to Nordstrom's and got the perfect shoes. All for a very good price. So I'm very excited to put on, I don't know about you, but I haven't done a complete head to toe new outfit and I don't remember how long. So it's sort of fun to get, you know, I'm looking forward to it to get all dressed up. So that was a fun thing. Don't do that often. It was fun to go do that. Uh, and then, oh, I want to tell you about two things before I talk about the guest. First, a movie. Uh, Friday night, my man and I go out a lot to the movies and we like to get there at <laughs> before the crowd. So, you know, we like to see like the 445 show and then eat dinner after. So we were going to go see Arthur, having loved the old Arthur. But my man said, new got bad reviews, which I don't usually listen to, but I listened to him. And so instead, we went to go see the movie that got really amazing reviews, Hannah, I think H-A-N-N-A, and all about, I don't know if espionage, espionage is really the right word. It's... uh government, government, what they're doing behind our back and things you don't know about and, you know, how that relates in this particular one man's life and his daughter, so-called daughter. Uh, It was really interesting and filmed in an interesting way. And so that caught my attention, which um, I enjoy along with some popcorn And then the other thing I wanted to talk about was the treat I brought with me. And I say high five thank you to my dear friend, Nancy, out in California, who, uh, as I was talking to her on the phone, I said, okay, I've got to go. I'm walking into Trader Joe's. And she said, definitely try the chocolate-covered pomegranate seeds. Now, I don't mess when she says try something because I know we speak the same language. So I did. And um, I'm not sure if I'm happy or sad, nervous that I tried them. (laughs) They're very easy to eat a lot of it, was what I'm going to say. So, no, they're delicious. And uh, had those in my bag as my little. As much as I love the raisinets, these, really good. And I know that pomegranates are good for you. And I just happen to really enjoy the pomegranate seeds. So I'm sharing that all with you. Um, That and... I also um, did some um, other fun stuff. I went out because of the weather was so fabulous, and I purchased lots of little um, green seedlings. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. Lettuces, lots of different lettuces. So I put them out, but here's the thing. I'm not sure if I'm just feeding the rabbits that'll be coming for Easter, obviously, or if hopefully I'll be feeding myself soon uh, of salad. So we'll see. But I was so excited to go to the big old home depot, the depot, uh, and uh, see that they had all of these arugula and different lettuces out. Very, very exciting. That and my Los Angeles vacation, which is coming up next week. Yahoo! I'm excited to see everyone out in L.A. So 
Um, those are the things going on here in the Craftcast studio, besides having so much fun with the live online classes. If you haven't tried one out yet, I know there's lots of newbies coming on. Uh, make sure you check those out. And here's my studio dog, my studio puppy who just walked in. Hello there, Miss Tara. Uh, so that's what's going on. And uh, let me talk to you about today's guest is uh, a wonderful woman I've had on the show before. Uh, you know, to say that she's she's so much more than just a jewelry artist. She's an oh, she's just one of those people you just want in your life with so much wonderful information as well as beautiful art. It's Ms. Harriet Estelle Berman. Uh, here's what she says on her site about herself. Uh, Harriet Estelle Berman uses post-consumer recycled materials to construct artwork ranging from jewelry and teacups to entire lawns and sculpture with social commentary. That's not saying enough, really. I know you're going to enjoy uh, my chat with her. She has so much wonderful information. But before we get to that, I have uh, a wonderful young man artist, uh, falls under the singer-songwriter category, I believe, who my son turned me on to. And I hope you enjoy him and uh, buy his music. Let's support all these wonderful artists. His name is Nathan Angelo. He's singing Someday Soon. Uh, Pretty fabulous. And then come on back and I'll be chit-chatting with Ms. Harriet Estelle Berman. Oh, 
I'm excited today to talk to my next guest. Actually, my next guest was on CraftCast a ways back. I don't even remember, but that's not important because new stuff has happened. And today I'm talking to Harriet Estelle Berman, who is an artist, a crafter, a maker of things, a sharer of information. Thank you so much, Harriet, for coming on the show today. Oh, I'm thrilled. Exciting. Well, I have first I want to say something. I watched your uh, video, Grass. Okay. That was so moving. It, I was got emotional. Really? I did. And there, what, what? It was, was it? It, because there's so much symbolism to that lawn and what we do and why and definitely. <gasps> there's a huge. Um, there's a lot of conversations going on in the sculpture and in the video. Uh, the grass itself is made out of post-consumer material, so it talks about the lawn as like a consumer product that we spend hundreds, thousands, millions of dollars taking care of our lawns, and yet there's this huge environmental impact because of the fact that we put chemicals, fertilizers, pesticides on our lawns, which we then water with our drinking water, and put those chemicals into our surface water and groundwater. It, it, well, it's, it touched on so many ways. Yes, for sure, for that. Uh, mm. And for people who, I know they're going to want to see it. I actually put it up on my, um, a link to my Facebook page, but there'll also be a link on the CraftCast site. There was also something about how we grew that tradition in there, the way you shot it, and all the artwork from the past about how important and all everything we do for our lawn, just the symbolism. Right. There's, uh, there are uh, precedents dating back to the 17th an 18th century where the lawn, and it's often shown in paintings, where you have the uh, man and woman, uh, the symbol of the aristocracy sitting in front of their lawns with these palatial landscapes zooming behind them to see their house. Yeah. And those historical roots that we're trying to somewhat preserve in our little nine-by-nine landscape of grass in front of our house. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Well, now tell people, so you then made, as you said, a lawn from recycled materials, your beautiful tin and everything. Yes. 
there's several pieces. There's some smaller ones, and then there's the nine foot by nine foot lawn that you see fabric, the actual fabrication assembly process right. in the video. Right, and then that was shown someplace. I'm assuming. Uh, it was recently shown and in an exhibition manufactured at California College for the Arts mm-hmm. during this fantastic symposium called Craft Forward, and that was just last weekend. Right, and that's what we're going to talk about next. <laughs> Well, I'm really excited to be able to share this information with your listeners because I'm writing about every single one of the lectures on my blog, Ask Harriet. And my objective is not to talk about every lecture comprehensively, but to take out those nuggets from each lecture that people can take back to their studio and think about when they're making their work. What was the one that hit you? I know it's so much to take in when you're at things like that. Oh, it was totally overwhelming. It's overwhelming. I, it, well, I, just, I just wrote the blog post about Glenn Adamson's keynote lecture, and one of the concepts that he brought forward was this idea of risk uh, versus what he called, he, so he had a spectrum of risk and certainty, and absolute risk was at one end, and absolute certainty was at the other. Okay. And uh, he had a really excellent example, which I put into the blog post, which was, and it's very approachable when you think about this, it's like, how do you cut a piece of paper? Do you rip the piece of paper? And that is pretty risky, right? You have no idea what the outcome will be. Right. And then if you go one step further, you could fold the paper and press it with your hand, the next step would be uh, putting a crease into the paper with your fingernail. Mm-hmm. And, and then you could move further and actually use a scissors. Mm-hmm. And then you could use a paper cutter. Or you could go all the way to the idea of manufacturing where they would use some kind of large guillotine to cut the paper absolutely perfectly. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. You have this full spectrum of risk versus certainty, and I really feel like this applies to our work. Great concept. Yeah. I you love... Know, how I, risky are you with your work? And right. it might be how you use your materials. It might be how you use your tools. Uh, it might be making something that you've never made before, yourself personally, or it might be making something with your materials that your field, your media, has never seen before. And the... The if we're going to put a judgment on the word risky, it was a positive thing in this case. Um, I would say that that was the lean of right. craft forward. Right. If, if you're thinking of leaning forward, leaning into the risk, because that was his approach. And he also had some historical examples, which I put up on my blog, Ask Harriet, and we'll put that link up on Right, yep, yep. Craftcast, uh, right. so that people can find it. Right. Yeah. Um, I know I want to read his book, and I haven't. Thinking it's through really craft. Little, thinking through craft. Yeah, yeah. So it's a tough go. I have. <laughs> it is okay. <laughs> I'm telling you, really. Um, I, I get like through. It's a really good way to go to sleep at night. <laughs> I know, but that's a good. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. It's not light reading. You have to take a paragraph uh-huh. at a time. A paragraph at a time, maybe half a page. Right. Uh, if you're not getting through a paragraph, skip it and go on to something else. Right, right. He has another book that um, was recommended to me called The Craft Reader, which is supposed to be more approachable. Okay, I saw that one as well. And there's a new one coming out called Global Design History. Oh, I don't know about that one yet. Yeah, okay. it comes out this month. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. which is worldwide. And I mean, I always find right that... Right on the cusp, right. cusp 
cutting edge. Well, he was a very articulate person. Love that. And his lecture was fabulous, and he'll also be speaking at the SNAG conference, which is coming up at the end of May. And not only that, but I organized what I call a smaller conference experience where anybody can come to a small room, and we're going to have lunch, informal discussion with Glenn Adamson. So it'll be a very approachable experience, and I am so looking forward to this. Oh, fabulous. Well, maybe I can get him on to speak here. That'll be nice. When you meet oh, him, talk to him. incredible. He's very articulate. He was able to put really complicated concepts in a way that you had never thought about before, and but it was also very approachable. Very inspiring, right? Yes, definitely. Okay, so then, okay, so that's, that's a lot to think about right there. Now, what next inspired you at that conference? Um, there was a lecture, and I'll have to think about her. Okay, Otto von Busch was an interesting speaker. He's from Sweden. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was, uh, when you talked to him, he was full of ideas. Mm-hmm. About, <laughs> I'm telling you how you could make your work further out there. But um, he had some really interesting ideas about how he was looking at his fashion, DIY, hacktivist approach. I mean, he, he was really interesting. The Astor Gates, um, these were all new people to me. So I was, um, I also like that about the Craft Forward conferences that I was listening to speakers that I had never heard sure. before. I love that and term, also, hacktivist. Yes, well, hacktivist, yeah. <laughs> new, new terms, new ideas were presented all the time, and none of the standard uh, boring art lectures. Sorry, most, I'm sorry, I'm sure that there's artists out there that give great artist lectures. Right. But this was none of that. I make this and I make that. Right, right, right. So the Astor Gates, he was a very interesting speaker, and uh, he talked about the genesis of his work, um, moving from ceramics to more uh, more conceptual pieces. So I, he didn't show any of the ceramics work because it seems that his um, idea, his early education as a urban planner has now come full circle back into his work. Hmm. That was very interesting as he works with his community, mm-hmm. uh, fixing up buildings, investing in his neighborhood. And so that was a, not only is he making interesting artwork, but he had kind of an activist point of view that was then um, coming full circle back into his work. Interesting. Did and you always, one, oh, go ahead, yeah, go I'll ahead. save the question. Go ahead. Oh, well, there's one other person and... Okay, well, while you're looking here, I just want to ask you this. Were you always, you have activist part in all your work. Was it always that way for you? Like, did you just think, I have something to say, and it's not just jewelry? Um, I, I, somehow I carry, I carry this idea of social responsibility with me. Mm. And I, and I can't, it's a, it's a burden, I would say, because I end up investing so much of my time into it. I feel, but mm-hmm. I also feel it as a responsibility. Mm-hmm. So it might be at the level where, when my children were going to elementary school and there was no art in their classroom, no formal art program, I would teach art in their school. You right. know, so you're exhausted. Right. Or I take care of the island. It's a huge. I say island, but it's um. Like, you know, a landscaping area in our neighborhood of 24 houses. 
And I've been taking care of this for 17 years. No one else wants to take care of it, so I take care of it, and I organize the neighborhood. Or it goes into my art community where I have been writing the professional guidelines for 10 years now. Right, right. And within the last three years, I've added my blog, Ask Harriet. I love that. I mentioned it um, earlier as including the blog posts about Craft Forward, but normally I offer professional advice, business advice to artists and craftspeople, um, talking about the mundane like taxes, really relevant material right now, or um, conceptual ideas about working or being adventurous as an artist or practical advice like how to deal with galleries or shows, that type of thing. It's a lovely idea. And, And thank you for doing all that work. I appreciate it. Well, I'm glad to hear that you appreciate it, and I hope that your listeners look at it and they can find the information useful and share it with their fellow artists and makers. It's so important. It is. I I see it as that artists have a responsibility to building their community and making it stronger, and we can help each other, and that's why I took on this role. It's It's rather, I, I don't know, it's, why do I do this? Because uh, I can't. Because you have myself. to, right? <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I totally understand. I always feel that artists have a responsibility to hold the space of art. So when some people can't get there, the space is still being held when they can make it back. That artists have oh, a real responsibility to hold that space. That's a fabulous way of speaking about it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, it's it's, and you're right. You can't help it. <laughs> You got to no, do it. You can't. That's no. <laughs> probably why you started. It is. So it, is. it is. It you is. Know? It is and the same thing. And that's why I decided to write about Craft Forward. I mean, there were 400 people there, but it doesn't begin to percolate reach, out. To reach out to yeah. the number of people that need to hear this information. Yeah. And that might it might change their thinking or influence what they're thinking about or open up new ideas for them. You know, it's hard too. I think. You, you need that to create. I mean, you got to fill the well up and create from someplace, from ideas, from theories, from past. Right. You can't just sit down and be, you know, well, you can, but it's a different experience. But there's right. something juicy about going to a place where people are speaking and, and gathering that much uh, right. energy. Exactly. Yeah, you never know what, you have to go there with this idea of uh, no expectation. Right. And... Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's great. And uh, maybe you hear something that you didn't want to hear, but it sinks in and... Mm, mm-hmm. and Those are sometimes the best. And it will, might come back some other way. I thought of one other speaker that I really enjoyed Who's tremendously, that? and that was Bridget Cook. I don't know Bridget Cook. Okay. Um, she is <clears throat> from UC Irvine. Okay. And she spoke about the G's Bend quilt. Now, that's a oh. that's been traveling around the United States, and I saw it originally in Washington, but it was also in San Francisco, a number of museums. Right. Now, the G-Spend quilts were made by women within a very insular black community yes. in the South. Uh, they essentially, it seems that there were escaped slaves. This is going back to about right after the Civil War, if I have it correctly, and so they kind of lived in a really isolated community that was in G's Bend, G's right. Bend, like a kind of location, right? Um, surrounded by ri- a river on 
three sides, essentially, because they're in this little crook of the river. And they were really poor, so poor that when the work clothes were worn out, like the knees and the uh, rear end of the pants, there's still little bits of usable fabric that might be like the edge Mm -hmm. of the pants Mm -hmm. or around the underneath the pockets and they take they were so frugal and so poor that they would take these little leftover pieces of material and make their quilts out of it now so these quilts have like a ghost like a soul oh they do so but there's a lot a bigger picture than that just the quilts now the collector who bought these quilts originally for five or ten dollars from these people then has a huge collection of these quilts, which he then makes this huge exhibition. And the impact of this is multifaceted because the exhibition, these quilts are now in like the premier museum. Mm-hmm. And so their work is elevated into a context in which these women never conceived of their work at all. Right. right? It was supposed to be on their bed. It was useful. Right. And most I mean, it's not discussed, but usually people who made quilts in the traditional sense, where they'd have their company quilt and then they'd have their everyday quilt. Right, but, right. Um, most of these quilts were really made out of very used materials, not new purchased materials to make a new quilt. And then you have the merchandising of this exhibition, such right. as the note cards, calendars, right. books. <laughs> And then there's something like... Um, well, the quilts of G's Bend is actually trademarked, that phrase. Yes, exactly, and which, which is pretty astounding because now who's making money off of this merchandising, including the fabrication of new quilts? They're right. old. I can't remember what store, but maybe it's good I don't say it. And uh, the books and all that. So now the women, yes, they're making more money because their quilts are now collectible. Right. And that money is funneled back into their community, and so it does have a, a positive effect, but there's a lot of ramifications to this whole idea of uh, the merchandising involved with essentially... Uh, and then women don't see themselves necessarily as artists. That was another thing about how, how this world fame of their quilts might change their definition of themselves mm. as makers or artists. Yeah, well, and the thing is, I've seen the, that um, exhibition. The quilts yeah. are freaking genius. Yeah, they're really incredible. They're incredible. They have soul. They, oh. I mean, and... And a design, soul, it. design, everything yeah. about it. So oh. it's an amazing synergy that came out of that. And, and, of course, these women are working pretty in a pretty isolated circumstances. Yeah. When they made, especially the early quilts from, let's say, the 20s and 30s. Yeah. Um, so then there were... Their quilts are put up on the wall as if they were like pa- paintings. Yes. And they're evaluated in a completely different way. Yes. And what happens to that idea? And there's so many things to talk about. She was so articulate. It is. Also, it's fascinating. She was, ama- she was an amazing speaker, an amazing speaker. Mm, good to know. Well, we'll put that link up there. Well, now tell me how you, um, I can sort of guess why, but ask Harriet. I love that. You just knew you had information. People have like, what's the most popular question? What is, okay, I get a lot of copyright questions because I think people come to me with those questions because I do use, I do use copyrighted material in the sense of packaging. Right, right, right. Your tin. use, reuse. Um, so that's a question that people often ask me. And I've run a large series of 
post about copyright issues, and it's a really sensitive topic because one of the more specific questions about copyright is so-and-so artist maker is inspired by another artist maker and how much of that person's images can they use. Really touchy territory. Yeah, 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 it is. And especially now today, there's so many. It's sort of crazy. I mean, new yeah. things are being invented. All, well, new ideas are coming out all the time because it keeps changing. Yeah, so, um, well, I, I, I kind of discourage people from using other artists. I think you're getting into really sensitive territory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how can I guide them completely? But I think that an overriding principle is that you have to be adding enough original content, which is a very, where is that border? Okay. Right. So that's really difficult to define. And the other issue about copyright is the fact that you has to be a parody, not a satire. And that's also very difficult for people mm-hmm. to understand. It's kind, mm-hmm. of, it's kind of a fuzzy space in my head over and over mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. So, um, but again, your safest principle is adding enough of your own content or commentary. You have to be changing the context or the interpretation. And most people don't really, that's a really scary part, but yeah. people aren't really pushing that boundary far enough. Interesting. So um, that's, that is one of the common questions. Otherwise, um, well, let's talk about the one I posted the other day that you saw. Let's talk about the one, how people charge for their art. I tried to bring up something that's usually left out of certain formulas. Oh, yes. Which, okay. you know, is for me, you come up with a formula, but at the end, how do you feel with that amount of money and sitting there right. with it, you know? I, I made a comment on your... Yes. Um, first of all, I've paid a lot of attention to that. One of the reasons is because last year we organized a program for the Professional Development Seminar at the SNAG Conference, and it's called Not Just Another Pricing mm. Lecture. And people can listen to the actual PowerPoint with audio, and that's, we'll put the link up for Great. that. Great. And then there's also an hour podcast with discussion with the audience so that gives people some guidelines. Great. Generally, I feel like people, this is really hard, people don't charge enough. I oh, mean, that's true. I agree. And, and then, of course, you're afraid, well, this is a really tough economy. If you don't charge enough, then nobody will buy it. Right. Um, I do think most important, besides the price, is actually understanding what your real costs are. And most people, this is where... I really feel like the pricing formulas kind of fall apart because mm-hmm. people don't really understand their overhead expenses. Right, right, and right. They might think about their electricity, right? But or, but they'll go, oh well, I'm working at my kitchen table, so I don't have to pay rent. Right, and, right, right. You don't have to pay rent if you're working on the kitchen table, but maybe you want to put a little extra money in there so that in the future you could have a studio space. And there's also the idea of. You, you, the computer you have to buy, you have to have a computer now, and you have to have office supplies, and you have those expenses and your photography expenses, which might include your camera and your scanner. I mean, there's a lot of hidden costs right. that people aren't thinking about. And so when I see work, unfortunately, for sale online, and it's $6, yeah. you know, it can't be $6 because I figure it takes me... 20 minutes minimum to scan or photograph right, something, right, put right. a photo on my computer, put that image up. That's not $6. Right. And 
Uh, well, having that kind of a adjust- checklist of a real thing. I know when I used to do big budgets for advertising, mm-hmm. we had a checklist and there are things you would never think about. One of those huge hidden costs we don't have anymore, but FedEx and postage, huge. Oh, right. You know, and, and it's good to have like a form that you just go down and put something in. You add it all up at the end. Right. Um, looking at your own tax return. So when you have all these expenses itemized right. on your tax return, you're going to have a a bigger picture of how, what your expenses are for the entire year. And then perhaps you could simplify that for your overhead and just say, well, I get to work 500 hours in an entire year, so you have to divide all your expenses by 500, and then that might give you some general idea of overhead. But you've got to add it into the formula. You've got to think about all those hidden costs. And for people who are freaking out going and they can't, here's one good thing about it. Once you do it once, it's sort of done. You don't have to recreate from the bottom line every time. You know, once right. you figure out that overhead and you have your, you know, approximate cost there, you can just build it in. So it's not recreating from the scratch every time. Right. And um, there, there's always these, oh, well, the IRS, if you're actually going to call yourself a business, the IRS requires all kinds of things like uh Managing your inventory in. Oh, dear. I saw that on your blog, and I thought, hmm. And I'm in digital management, which is a whole other thing because it doesn't really exist. (laughs) Oh, okay. It is a little bit tedious. Yes. But it is a good idea to have some idea about how how much something costs. Mm Mm-hmm. And as you say, you don't have to figure out every single time you have an idea about how much it's actually costing you per hour to... And you can factor some of these issues in. But selling your work at $6, something's wrong there. And it's not only an injustice to you, but it's, it's it doesn't an support the community. to every other maker. Yeah. And it doesn't, there's no, my husband gives me a really hard time, but you're not really educating the consumer. Not that you can educate the consumer, but then the consumer is not informed about what they're. Correct. Um, the actual costs are. The, yes. I mean, I'd rather you give it away for free. I agree okay? with you. Uh, I agree with you. Yeah, just get, if you... It has more value that way. price, give it away. Yeah, free has more value than $6 at that point. Yeah. And it's, um, oh, well, what can we say except the fact that... Charge more. Charge more and the, spend some time working with even your friend or your husband figuring out what your real costs are. Right, Have right. a brainstorming session with your friends or your critique group. And that's another good thing I have is critique group guidelines if people want to look for that. And they're on Ask Harriet, too. It's a great idea. Yeah, no, it's a hard one because there isn't set rules, but there's certainly things you have to consider. And then I do believe when you're all said and done, sit with that. Visualize getting the money for what you just got. And if it sits well with you and you feel Yahoo, you probably got the right price. But if you're still thinking, oh, that's not worth it, it's not worth it then. Reconfigure. Yeah, there was something in your um, blog post about... um Frustration costs? I called it the resentment factor. The resentment factor. I thought that was really good. <laughs> yes. At some point, you know, that's another good idea that I um, really liked. And that is that sometimes, especially for my major pieces, I may never sell them. Mm-hmm. But there is some value in putting a realistic price on it and keeping it. Yeah. Because then you have a really important piece yep. to exhibit. Yep. And you can, and when you make really important pieces, they don't come one a week. Right. You might spend, 
um, unfortunately I do, um, months or years, like I've been working on my pencil project for four years mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. there's no way that it can be $6, $20, or $100. So maybe it should just travel around and you can share it with a larger audience. Right. Exactly. Those are the things that are important. Yeah. Keeping it for yourself is okay. Sharing it with a larger audience in the exhibition nonprofit sector is just totally fine. I heard someone at one of the conferences I was at, which I thought was a great thing. I can't remember now who said it. Uh, but it was to design your next piece like it was for a museum or a show like that and just think that way for a whole piece, which I thought was a great idea. Yeah, I, well, I... You do I that. Do that that's you. <laughs> uh, but, but that's just me. I'm so unrealistic when it comes to things like that. I go, oh, I have this great idea. Like, I made two cops to go as a teapot. This is going back way years. And then I go, it took me 75 hours to figure out how to make two cups. And then I go, oh, this is such a good idea. I should make 200 cups. Of course. Then it took me four years to make the 200 cups and the two videos that go with it. But... You know, sometimes you have to think big and not uh, yes. always, um, it, and even if it means that you only can work a couple of hours a week because you have your day job, you commit to those couple of hours a week and you try to make something that's a little bit bigger than your $6 earrings and a bigger idea. And Oh, it's always well. nice to have an idea bigger than yourself because yeah. it keeps it generating and fresh. Yes. It's and always important. You never know when you take that risk, and we're back to this right. idea we started with in the very beginning, when you take that risk and go into new territory where it's going to lead you in the future. Yes, risk. That's the word for today, risk. Yeah. I think it's a good one. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to know, what are you reading right now, just to close here? Because I, I bet you have some books that I want to read on your... on your. Oh, yes. Well, okay, I will say I'm working on Makers. You are, okay. At the history of American Studio Craft Movement. and Who is that by? It's by Bruce Metcalf yes, and Stanikopoulos. Yes. It's a huge book. It's a, it was designed to be a college textbook. Yes. And I so talked it, to it, Bruce it, when he was writing that, and I thought, well, there's a project for you. <laughs> yeah, that the project. It took him years. And, but it's worth reading. And okay. And it's funny how it ties all together with, um, like you might be watching Antiques Roadshow, and you go, wow. I saw that. I saw the, what that item on, in Makers. And so you start selling ideas about the craft history. Right. And also, one of my favorite parts of the books is the economic picture. Now, it gives you some understanding of how craft has always had kind of an economic struggle and um, businesses uh, wax and wane and... It's not a new topic, but I think it kind of gives you validation when you're trying to struggle yourself. Right. Um, Back to that money picture, but we can't totally ignore it. It's very informative, really interesting, and very... Okay, we'll definitely put that link up there. That is a goodie. And I want to recommend one other book, which is Manufractured. Manufractured Mm. by Mara Holt-Scove and Stephen Scove-Holt. And... There's been three exhibitions, but for a lot of your listeners, this is going to be a really interesting book. It's about reusing, remixing, repurposing material. It's not necessarily about recycling, though some of the people in the book um, do use recycling, but we're repurposing materials, and it's 
a completely fresh look on what I think is a really timely topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have a whole chapter in that book, so I just want to, that's my open disclosure. But I think it's a fabulous book. The graphics, the layout, all of it is thoroughly entertaining. Say the name again. Manufractured. Manufractured. It has an R in there. So we'll put a link on that for the Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that sounds good. Well, see, I knew I'd have good times talking with you. (laughs) Well, it's been a highlight of my week. Oh, good, good, good. Well, I love your work. I love reading Ask Harriet. I love your energy. Uh, It's well appreciated over here at the Craftcast Studio. So thank you so much, darling. I'm going to make sure everyone gets the links. I know they can Google your name and find them right away, but there's your blog, um, your site, and then your Ask Harriet blog. So there's a few things out there, and we'll put them all up over at Craftcast Studio. Okay, fabulous. All right, darling. Take care. Keep crafting. Oh, thank you very much. I know you will. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that talk with Harriet. Um, She's got so much great information. So come on over to the craftcast.com site and you can find all the links. That's the easiest way to do it and uh, get all that great, great information to use in your work. As well as I hope you really enjoyed uh, Nathan Angelo's music someday soon. You can also get the, um, you could find his, you could Google it or you can just come on over to craftcast and you'll get the link, make it easy to find his music. Okay, so the entertaining thought section of the show today, the word of the day is focus. Focus. And how friggin' hard has that become to do? You know, with everything going on, I don't know about all of you, but I'm going to guess it's true, with the um, social networking with TVs, which the fact that you can record your shows, which the fact that we're trying to run our lives and work and make art and raise children and do hobbies and have relationships and the input in our daily lives, it is so hard to focus. But the truth of the matter is we really don't get anywhere unless we do. You know, it always brings me, I always get back to that um, that thought of when I was a... <laughs> Okay, you're going to laugh. When I was a Girl Scout and you used your magnifying glass and you took the rays of the sun and focused it on a piece of paper uh, to start your campfire. And uh, that is the clearest visual. It made a big impact on me back then of what focus can do. What focus can do. So I even looked it up um, as a definition. And it's interesting because it's focus they gave to cause, and then they said light rays, for example, to cause to converge on or or toward a central point to concentrate. So these are some of the things I'm going to be talking about coming up in the uh, online live class here at the Craftcast Studio called Get Your Butt in the Chair with Allison Lee on May 18th, um, and how we refined, refined, find our focus. Mm-hmm. Something I've been working on. So if that interests you, uh, follow along on Facebook or on the website, and you'll see information for that class coming up soon. Uh, as well as another class coming up, and this is always fun. This is going to be with Ms. Brenda Swader, and it is um, uh, making wire jewelry in the feeling of Alexander Calder. We call it Calder-esque. That's coming up on May 4th. Uh, I adore Brenda's work. 
It's so much fun to do this. If you just and if you just want to get into having some fun with wire jewelry, this is a class to to definitely take to start. Uh, and if you're, but if you're looking for other designs or things, you'll be inspired. So come on over and take that with us. So there you go. There you go. So another week here at the Craftcast Studio. I hope you enjoyed uh, hanging out with me a bit and hearing what my guest had to speak. I am what my guest had to speak. Now that's not correct. What my guest had to say. <laughs> I think that's an example of the uh, brain getting ahead of the mouth. There you go. Uh, so if you want to leave me an email, you can send it over to Allison at craftcast.com or you can leave me a phone message at 877-819-1859. All that info is over at the Craftcast uh, site. So take advantage of that and make sure and sign up for the newsletter. You'll see at the bottom left-hand corner of the site, you can do that. Uh, and I'm excited and I'm seeing some of my Facebook friends and other people as well. Uh, coming up in my visit out to uh, California. So until we speak again, get your butt in the chair and keep crafting. Just get yourself right.